Before we get going this week, I thought I'd just remind you that I'm a certified business strategist who's been in property for over 25 years. I know my clients shortcut their success by being laser focused through strategy and mentoring, as no one business model fits us all because funding, geography, skill set, it all plays a part in deciding what works for you. Getting it wrong can definitely damage your wealth. If you're serious about property, then your first step is a call with me. Nothing more difficult than following the link in the show notes to book it. This is the Property Solopreneur podcast and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy to let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode. What is it and why do I need a snagging list? And if anybody knows why it's called a snagging list, do DM me because I think snag is a fabulous word. Well, for anyone who's done any sort of building renovations or a tiny bit of work on your own property, you'll know that the snagging list is the list of things you need to draw to the builder's attention right at the end of a project. That's the basic principle of it. But actually, when you're doing it professionally, when you are an investor or a developer and you're doing this for money, it takes on a much, much more important part of the whole build. It's a slightly tense moment, I think, the first time you do one because you don't know what it's, what it's going to be like. You don't know how you're pointed, anything you point out is going to be taken. And the builder, of course, is very, very experienced at this. This is what they do at the end of every project. And they just are waiting to see what you're going to pick up, what you're going to ask them to do, and then for them to be paid. Nothing more than that. It's a one-way thing. They're not going to point out anything they know hasn't gone according to plan. So it's up to you to make sure that you get what you paid for. Now, the builder, I'm going to call him him because it's so much easier, isn't it? He may be very sick of you, frankly, very tired of you and your project. It might have all been a bit of a stress. He may be walking around thinking, do you know, on the big scale of things, this is so petty. You, on the other hand, if you've not done it before, you want it to work, don't you? You want to get everything that you've asked for to the highest standard without going over budget and frankly, without annoying the builder so much that they walk out leaving you in a pickle. Or even worse, and this is usually what happens with newbies, is seeing problems where there aren't any. Because it's very difficult, if you have never done this before, to really understand what you're going to get back from a builder if you've not had someone hand over a building before. Because trust me, unless he's done absolutely everything, including hanging the curtains and putting the carpets down, you're not going to get what you thought you were going to have. And I know that because the first time I took a build back, I, it was my first one, as I say. So I was going to do all the painting myself because I thought that was going to be so much cheaper. I could save a little bit of money on that. But mentally, although I knew that, I was expecting to see a building with painted walls, with the carpets down, with the curtains at the window, basically ready to market. And of course, I didn't. Not only that, but I hadn't even realised that there are certain tasks that are done by different trades to the ones that I thought would do it. For instance, boxing, you know, done by a joiner. But the joiners don't do the caulking and the filling in of the holes and all the rest of it. So 
when I went into the bathrooms, yeah, I got lovely boxing, but it, it didn't quite work. There was little edges and that kind of thing. I had to be put right. I was very lucky. I had a brilliant builder on my first proper project. He explained slowly every time I brought a problem up why it wasn't a snag, what I had to do with it. And basically, you know, why I had to learn all these things to make sure that my next project went on a lot more smoothly and a lot faster. We worked together for a lot more projects. So he was a very kind teacher. It's a process that's got to be done no matter how well the project has gone. Some bills, oh, they're just brilliant, aren't they? Absolutely no problems as they go through. But you still have to have a snagging session. You know, it's the way that you and the builder come together and sign off. Say, yes, we have all succeeded. You approve the snagging list. Hopefully, if you've done your job properly on site, he'll be able to do any problems there and then, get everything sorted out. Shouldn't be long at all. Then you pay him and ta-da, the next stage has arrived. It's ready to sell or to go out to the rental market. If you've done this enough times, it should be quite fun, I think. It shouldn't be so much a, this hasn't been done, this isn't finished, that's wonky. It should be, ooh, yeah, this worked well, didn't it? Nice finish on that as you stroke whatever it is, you know, the plaster work or the woodwork somewhere. You know, should we do it again? You know, that kind of vibe. So you know that you're going to be able to rinse and repeat endlessly with a team that understands exactly what you want. So what exactly is a snag list? Well, very short order. It's a checklist of the spec, nothing more. Have you got what you asked for? And that is what you should be looking for when you walk around without your builder, when you create the spec. Now, because I know that it's very easy to, when you get to that point in the build, to start looking for every kind of problem known to man. I take my spec out off literally from the computer, don't go to site, and I write it down with all the points that I think I should be looking for. I then walk around on my own going, that's been done, that's been done, that's been done. Oh, what's happened here? And actually, you should, at the end of the day, manage to have nearly everything ticked off. Because if you've got a problem, you may find that it's actually cheaper for the builder to walk off site. Because if you think about it, you know, we all pay them in stages. And the littlest stage is that bit left over for the snag. Well, if you're going to have left too much to the end, he's going to mentally calculate how much money it's going to cost him, how much time in time to get everybody back. Because trust me, you know, he's not got all these subcontractors walking around with you. They've gone. He's going to have to get them back. And so it might be cheaper for him just to walk off site. And it's all right you now say, but I'll sue him. I'll sue him. I can take him to court. Really? For so little money? You need to get that building turned over quickly. That's your job. And actually, I think if you've got to that situation, you've got a problem with how you actually conduct your site work. And that's what we're going to go on to next. Because don't forget, if you've got to get a new builder in, he's going to look at you and go, oh, yeah, they had a bit of a problem. Perhaps she's a tricky client. And do you want to be seen as a tricky client? Well, where were you, as I say, on site when the build was actually going on? You know, a site visit is not just you breezing around going, all right, you know, things happening well. No, you should have your, uh, your spec with you so you can see what is going on. You know, if you can see wonky electrical sockets, you mention them, you bring them up. It's two-way operation here because, A, you're pointing out to people that, You've got eyes and you use them and you're not prepared to just say, are they going to be corrected later? You're going to say, actually, they're wonky now. I'd like them corrected to the right person, of course. Don't go around shouting about it because you'll get everyone's backs up. But secondly, 
it means that you are on top of everything, that you can go to bed that night knowing that there is nothing that is going to start being a problem tomorrow. Because once the next tradesman comes in, it is often too late to correct a hole somewhere or a bit of piping, etc. So make sure that at the end of every stage, you are where you should be. Now, I learned this the hard way. Of course I did. And we, I'm, you know, I think we all do to a certain degree. Many of you will be listening to this and thinking, no, it won't happen to me. It will. Not long ago, I had a problem with electrics right at the end and snagging. It all looked fantastic. And we went, we'd rewired a house and it had a very, very crumbly wall. And the house was frankly filled with dust on days and days. And although, you know, the office junior, so to speak, kept on mopping around and trying to keep it under control, the dust had actually got into the plugs. That was the major problem. And it was only found because, you know, you could flick all the switches on the electric circuits. They all worked. It had all been signed off. But if you tried to put a plug into one of the three pin sockets, nothing happened. The only plugs that actually worked were the ones that the boys had used on site all the time to keep all their tools up to to full charge. And the others all had to have their front boxes taken off, blown out with a straw, and then hoovered up. Now, it actually shouldn't have got to that point. So I now, I've been invested in a plug that is issued for disabled people. They've got little hoops on the front of the plug so that you put your finger through and you can put it easily into a plug and you can pull it out very easily so that you don't, as I did on one of those plugs, rip it off the wall because I was yanking away so hard. I get some funny looks now when I walk around doing that. But, you know, those boys aren't going to be on site when I'm trying to do something with that house in the future. I couldn't care less. It's one of my little as-we-go-along tests because snagging is there for a good reason. And I think we should make sure that it is the last bit of a build, not the mopping up, is there something I should have noticed. And again, I think the whole process should be used for other things as well. It's there for a reason. And what it means, the real reason for snagging is, have I got what I wanted to have in the first place and what I ordered? Well, we could apply that to so many other things in our businesses and we should. Most of us in property, for instance, are producing marketing material for investors or clients, you know, brochures, handouts, that kind of thing. We all like a bit of thump factor. But my word, have you actually looked at what a lot of people produce? is quite often massively overspecced, far too long, far too far off topic, very corporate and you're a one-man band. And it's not actually what people meant to produce at all. So if you start off by always thinking in the same way that we do with our buildings is, what is it that I want to produce? And you create a spec list. So if you're doing a piece of marketing material, that's just going to be a list of bullet points, but you've listed what you want then you're going to be able to snag it correctly at the end when you've produced whatever it is you're doing. And you'll get a much, much better result. You know, For whatever it is, from creating a video to a printed piece of marketing, have a very tight brief. You will then go away and work for it. And most of us, there are a few clever bods around, but most of us then get going and we start typing and we do this, the words flow out. But basically, we don't refer back to our piece of paper at all again until the very end. If that, we just create something, something that we then are inordinately proud of and think will absolutely do because we've made it. But actually, if you then use the snagging process, you will then be able to see, is it fit for purpose? That's what you're actually asking, isn't it? You know, how does it look? How does it read? Is it back to what you actually wanted to produce? So if you stick to using a snagging list, you won't use the best photo of you, the one you like, the one you think you look fabulous in. No, you'll use the photo that will appeal to your reader or your investor, the one that will actually bring in the money. 
And I think this is very different from proofreading. Proofreading is just when you look at what you've produced and go, yep, spelling's right, the grammar's right, that'll do. The snag list that you use goes back to what was it that I wanted to produce? Have I done so in the right way? We're all solopreneurs. We wear lots and lots of different hats. And sometimes we just have to give ourselves guidelines and permission to scrap or radically change what we've done. Very few of us spend a day or two writing a brochure and then go, actually, I've looked at my snag list and it's not fit for purpose. I'll start again. No, no. Most people then go, but I spent all that time on it. It's got to work. No, it's far too important not to go back to what you really wanted. On my accountability calls and sometimes on VIP days, I'm asked to critique the investor brochure. That's quite a common one. And normally this has assumed enormous importance in the mind of the creator. Now, I'm paid to speak my mind. Otherwise, what's the point of me, frankly? You know, uh, to ask questions, to prod, to highlight, you know, this is I do. Now, my clients, of course, are totally entitled to like what I say or hate it, in which case, if they're in accountability groups, they tend to disappear, never to be seen again, because they don't like being challenged and to want to defend their work. Now, I'm always amazed that they do that. Why? Because I'm not part of their mind bubble. I don't know what there was in their mind when they wrote it. And if I've got a problem with it, their customers will probably have a problem with it. You know, if they don't hear the same noise about who and what you are on paper as you are verbally telling them, then they're going to feel slightly discombobulated. And perhaps the service that you are putting down on paper is not the one they get. And so again, it's not going to work, is it? It's not that I'm out to rubbish anything. I'm there to support and to help. I basically ask the snagging question, has this brochure accurately addressed the points you've identified to me and reflected the company and the services that you are producing and creating? Hmm. Sometimes the answer is not what you want. And so snagging, I think, is a business self-criticism. Really, really important. I can tell you now that the really good chaps who'd market do this all the time. And I have got one or two mentors that I work with who will often just send me a message going, I didn't like that, whatever it was, for the following reasons. It wasn't true to whatever it is I know you're doing. Um, always not good to receive, I have to confess, you know, but you have to take it on the chin and try to do better because they've got your best interests at heart if they are working with you. Because would you rather get a straightforward talk within a safe space from someone who's interested in you and has your best interests at heart? you know, somewhere where you can dissect the feedback line by line and go, well, yes, but I've changed my mind. This is why I've done it. That's fine. Or just sit there happy that you produce something and wait and find you get no applause and no vast revenues coming into your business. It's very simple. Big part of the solopreneur is the ability, I think, to want to do everything for ourselves. But support and help is at hand and everyone should take it where they can see it. Now, you could join my accountability groups or come on a, a VIP strategy day where it's all about you and your business. You know, Find me on Insta or Facebook and DM me or send me an email to rachel at racheltroughton.com. Don't forget to spell my name, A-E-L, and let's see how we can work together. Now, if one-to-one -one is too intense for you, I'm starting up some group days and a waiting list is ready for your name if you would prefer to do it as part of a group rather than having yourself in the spotlight when a strategy day is just about you and your business for around about six hours, which can be too much for some people. So snagging lists, I think they are a great idea and they need to be adopted to more areas of our business. It's a thought process that's so overlooked but shouldn't be.
you know, it's a good, have I delivered on this thing system of being able to look at what you've done and correct it there and then. It's a great habit to get into. What did I ask for? Did I get it? That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? A snagging list. And if we do that for everything that we do in our businesses, we're going to find ourselves a lot more successful, wealthy, and actually satisfied with what we're doing. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist. If you found my stories inspiring and my content useful, then come find out more about my mentoring and strategy sessions by going to www.racheltroughton.com and book a discovery call with me. The banner link is on every page. Come and create and grow your own property business. That's the shortcut to success.